you know, the question is, do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him when he tells you to do something? That makes no sense. But there's another question we need to ask this morning also. Can he trust you? If you have a copy of God's Word, look with us to the book of Luke, chapter 16. As we continue our series on stewardship, and again, let me remind you, stewardship is simply uh, using what God has given to us, and God has given everything to us, and we use it for His glory. A lot of times, people only think about money, and that is part of stewardship, but it's much more. It's our opportunities, it's our time, uh, it's our testimony, it's our talents. Are you going to use what God has given to you? And one of the questions we need to ask ourselves, can God trust us with what he gives to us? And in Luke chapter 16, Jesus is going to tell a parable, and then he's going to make some comments. And this morning as we look at it, let me ask again the simple question, can God trust you? Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. Now he was also saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking my management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of the unrighteous, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another, who one will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, this morning as we open your word, we ask you that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher. And then, Father, we pray that as we learn, that, Father, we may apply it to our lives. And, Father, our desire this morning is to know that you can trust us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Robert Fulcom tells a story when his daughter, Molly, was only seven years of age. She gave to him a paper sack as he was going to work. He asked, what's in the sack? And she said, oh, just some stuff. Take it with you. 
So he went to the office and kind of forgot about it. Around lunchtime, he took the sack, expecting maybe it was some food, but inside he found the contents, two ribbons, three stones, a plastic dinosaur, a pencil stub, a tiny seashell, used lipstick, two chocolate kisses, and 13 pennies. Well, he chuckled at it, and he finished his lunch and swept everything into the wastebasket. When he got home, Molly came running to him and asked where the bag was. And he said, well, I left it at the office. Why? And she said, oh, Daddy, that sack holds everything I really like. And I thought you might want to play with them at your office. I want them back. Well, he hesitated for a moment, and then Molly's eyes got real big, and tears started streaming down her cheeks. You didn't lose the bag, did you? No, I, I'll get it for you in the morning. Well, Molly went to bed that night, and he went to the office that night. He gathered all the trash cans, and he laid it out on the tables. This is what he writes. Molly had given to me her treasures, all that a seven-year-old held dear, love in a paper sack, and I missed it. Not just missed it, I'd thrown it away. Nothing in there I needed. It wasn't the first or the last time I felt like my daddy permit was about to run out. I went back to the office, dumped all the waste baskets onto all, the, all my desk, and the janitor came in and said, did you lose something? He said, yeah. I said, yes, I lost my mind. He found the bag. He uncrumpled it and found everything dear to her, the two ribbons, the three stones, the plastic dinosaur, the pencil stub, tiny seashell, the used lipstick, two chocolate kisses, and 13 pennies. And he took them home. And the next morning, he gave it to Molly and said, tell me the story of each item. And she told each story of each item. He said later, she would give him the bag again. There was no rhyme nor reason when she would give him the bag. Just every now and then, she would hand him the bag for him to take to work, and he guarded it this time. He said, I don't know why she did it. Maybe because I was a good dad at that moment. I don't know. I just know she entrusted me with the bag. But as she got older, Begin to change. And then one day she gave him the bag and she did not ask it back. He said, it's in my office now. It is my bag. It's what's important to me. He said, I missed it. Do you realize that every day God gives you gifts? Every day, God gives you love in a bag. And we waste them, misuse them, or worse, we miss them. And the question is, can God trust us when he gives us something? Or do we just simply miss it? Jesus is going to tell a parable in our story today. Now, let me say right now, this is a difficult parable. This is the most difficult parable Jesus ever told. In fact, if you've never heard this parable before, you probably did a double take. You probably had a pause. You probably had a question. Wait, what does Jesus say? Is he commending this man? He's unrighteous. How can he commend him? How can he be our example? I mean, what kind of good teaching can come out of this man? And so, without a doubt, this is the most difficult parable Jesus ever told. So, because of that, this morning, I want us to look at it in depth first and then I want to give you three questions. Now, please understand, as we look at the parable, Jesus is not praising the man crookedness. 
He's not praising the man wickedness. He's praising the man shrewdness. He's praising this man shrewdness that he took a present opportunity to provide for his future needs. That's what Jesus is praising. In fact, Jesus does call him unrighteous. So he's not our example. But something he did, Jesus said, I want you to focus on this one item, his shrewdness. So let's look at the parable. We are introduced to this man as an unrighteous steward. So he is a steward. Again, our series on stewardship, stewardship is simply a manager. In fact, New American Standard calls him a manager. The Greek word here means that he is a free man. He's not a slave. He's a free man. This this word they use for him, this steward, this manager, means that he has, you know, high society, high class. He operated everything of his owner. So his, in other words, he ran the business, he ran the land, he ran the crops. He did everything for the owner. This is what he did for a living. He, but there's a problem. He did all this for the owner, but the owner finds out in verse 1 that he had been squandering it. Interesting word. Same word used to describe the prodigal son. Wasted living. And when we looked at the prodigal son story years ago, I told you that word does not mean something illegal, doesn't even mean something morally wrong. Literally, that word means to be foolish. It means to throw something into the wind and and just cast it away. You're being careless. So this unrighteous steward may not be cheating per se. He's just being very careless with what he was entrusted to him. So the owner goes to the steward and says, I've heard this story. There's going to be a counting of the books, and you're gone. Verse 3. We find out this unrighteous steward is also lazy and afraid. I I love the way he says, I I can't work. I mean, I'm not used to hard work. I'm used to being inside. And I'm afraid. I mean, I I can't beg. To beg, you got to have courage. I can't beg. So what could he do? Well, verse 5, he comes up with a plan. Here's the plan. He's going to contact all the people who owes his master a debt. And he's going to change their agreement. He's going to renegotiate the contract. Now, you have to understand something about this time period. In the agricultural world, you usually paid your debt at harvest time. Makes sense. That's when you have money. That's when you have stuff. This man is going to say, you pay it now, and I'll give you a discount. You don't wait to harvest. I'll give you a discount if you pay up now. That was the plan. So he's going to bring in all these people and renegotiate each and every contract. Now, why would he do this? Well, first of all, once he finished, he would have all the money, all the materials on the front end to give back to his owner. He would say to his employer, he said, look, here it is. You have everything coming to you, and not only that, it's early. And because I'm giving a new contract to everyone in town, they might give me a job. Uh, they may give me a place to stay for the night. So he's taking advantage at both sides and taking advantage of this moment. Now, it only mentions two debtors, but we understand he's doing all the debtors. And so he calls in the first one. Verse 5, he said, how much do you owe my master? He said, 100 measures of oil. By the way, that's about 875 gallons. And so he said, all right, tell you what, new contract, write down 50. Half price. That's all huge amount. The next guy comes in in verse 7. He said, how much do you owe my master? Well, 100 measure of wheat. 
okay? Take the bill, let's write 80, 20% discount. 20% reduction. And by the way, that, that's almost like a two-year reduction. Not as much as the first. First one is 50%, this is 20%. He's going to do everyone different. He renegotiate each and every contract, and they're all different. Now, here's where it gets a little difficult to understand. There are three possibilities to understand this parable. I'm going to give you my one because it's the correct one. It saves time, okay? I could give you the other two, but we'll be here a long time, and I want to respect your time. Let me give you the one that I hold to, the one that makes the most sense to me. To understand this story, you have to go back to the first century. The master, the employer, usually did not pay the steward. They didn't pay them a wage. They paid them a commission. You just add something to your bill, and that's what you took. So if you had $1,000, the steward could add $100, make $1,100. Now he pockets $100. Or he could say it's $1,500. Now he pockets $500. He could say $2,000. He could pocket $1,000. Now, please understand, the people in the town, they do not realize the steward is getting the money. They, they assume it's the owner. What a cruel man he must be. But it makes no difference. He would just pocket the money. So an honest steward would, would keep it low to honor his master. But if you were unrighteous, you would take advantage of this. Knowing that, what probably is taking place as he's re- renegotiating all these contracts, you know what he's doing? He wasn't stealing from the master. And here, here's how I know that. If he was, he'd be thrown in jail or killed. The master is just going to fire him. He's renegotiating. He wasn't stealing from the owner. What he was doing, he was simply reducing or eliminating the amount that was coming to him. He is cutting all of his profits. That's what's happening. So he's been hurting his master's reputation. I mean, everyone thinks he's a, a harsh man because I can imagine hey, you owe uh, a thousand here. What? Well, you know my, you know my owner. You can't, you can't deal with him. I, I'm, I'm trying to be your friend, but you know him. So he's been ruining the, the reputation of his owner. But in reality, he's been pocketing the money. So that's why in verse 8, we find these words. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. So the master comes, and the accounting of the books, and oh, my goodness, all the money's there. In fact, everything I, I was required. And this man is saying, you, this is incredible. You have acted shrewdly. He wasn't mad. I mean, the master reputation had been attacked. He'd been loose and sloppy with everything. But now, the people like the master. Now he has all his money on the front end. And the master says, you are a shrewd man. He commends him not for his irresponsibility, but for his shrewdness. By the way, shrewd is an adverb. It means to act providentially. It means to act now to prepare for something coming. This man acted shrewdly. He looked at the future. He did something now for the future. He took advantage of his opportunity that was giving a future result. He took advantage of his situation. He took advantage of what he had. And so Jesus says in verse 8, kind of interesting phrase, 
For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. What does that mean? This is what Jesus is saying. Worldly people are shrewd in taking care of what they have for their future, as brief as it will be. The sons of light, believers, don't take advantage. In other words, the world, they will use their financial resources, their money, their possessions, their wealth to secure their future. It's not going to last. It's all going to go away. It's just going to be there a few years. But the children of light, the believers, we know we're going to face eternity, and we do not prepare for what we have to make a difference for eternity. We do not work hard for, with our material wealth and our possessions and our money for eternal purposes as we do for temporal purposes. The question is, where are you investing your resources? So Jesus says in verse 9, as I say to you, make friends for yourself by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you in the eternal dwelling. Jesus says, you need to take your, your stuff and make friends. Now, he's not saying buy friends, okay? He's saying make friends so that you can give to them the things of God. So the businessman will go to a business lunch. We should be going to evangelistic lunches. The businessman will go on a business trip. We need to be going on mission trips. The businessman will give his customer gifts to keep them coming back. We need to give gifts to our lost friends to share Christ. That's what Jesus is saying here. He said, we should work on reaching people spiritually with what we have in order that we will see them for eternity. Because everything we have is going to go away, but our friends, their souls are in danger. That's why he says in verse 9, when it fails, and it will, our money, our stuff, one day is going to go away. But those things that we have invested for eternity will be there forever. So, Many of you are going to be very surprised when you get to heaven, when you look around and you see the people that came to know Christ because you gave to the church, or you gave to Lottie Moon, or you gave to Annie Armstrong. You're going to be surprised how God took your resources that you gave back to him and made a difference for eternity. That's what Jesus is saying. The question is, does he trust us? Money we use for the kingdom is never wasted. Money you give to the church, money you give to missions, money you invest in a lost person is never wasted. It is an investment. So Jesus is asking this question. Are you looking to, at the future of what will last forever? With that in mind, let me ask three questions. Number one, can God trust you with small things? Can God trust you with small things? Look at verse 10. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Jesus says, can I trust you in small things? Because if I can't trust you in small things, how can I trust you with big things? You know, every now and then I'll have people say, you know, if I had more, I'll give, I'll give once I have more. No, you won't. I'm just telling you, no, you won't. You get what you have now. If you're not giving what you have now, you're not going to give more when you have more. You see, can God trust you with the small things? If he can't trust you with the small things, he's not going to trust you with the big things. I mean, remember the widow? The widow gave everything. Had nothing to do with her amount. Had nothing to do with the circumstances. She just gave. 
Can God trust you with the small things? Back in the 1980s, rock bands were, were everywhere, and, and they were always known for being demanding. Uh, one was Van Halen. Van Halen was, had one of the strangest requests in a contract. And that was that when they got there, they wanted a bowl of M&Ms and all the brown ones removed. That was on the contract. And people ridicule the arrogance of this. That you want us to get a bowl of M&Ms? You want us to take out the brown ones? How dare you do this? Well, David Lee Roth explained in 2012 why they did it. He said, we were going to these small cities that were not used to our large concerts. I mean, we brought in nine uh, uh, tractor trailers of, of lights and pyrotechnics. And if they weren't careful, if they messed up, it wasn't going to be a bad sound. They could kill someone. They put that in the contract to see if they read the contract. He said, every time we went to a city and we saw the M&Ms, if there were no M&Ms, they didn't read the contract. And if they had brown M&Ms, they didn't read the contract or they didn't care about the contract. And we knew we had to be very, very careful, even more so. He said, if we can't trust them in the small things, how can we trust them in the big things? In the same way, God, if he can't trust us in the small things, praying daily, reading the Bible daily, coming to church weekly, giving back what God has given to us. If he can't trust us in those small things, how can he trust us with the big things? Second, can God trust you with material things? Can God trust you with material things? Look at verse 11. He said, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? He says, if, if I can't trust you with money, if I can't trust you with stuff, how can I trust you with spiritual things? The implication is also future rewards. That's what he's talking about. Throughout the Bible, the Bible makes a promise about when we get to heaven, there will be rewards. Now, I don't understand all of it. I'll be honest with you. I just know it's in the Bible. Matthew chapter 6, he says, Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Luke chapter 6, great is your reward in heaven. Luke chapter 6, again, your reward be great in heaven. Over and over, Jesus talks about this reward. Paul talks about this reward. Don't understand it. I believe it. But here's what Jesus said. If I can't trust you with material things, how can I trust you with spiritual things? God says our faithfulness will be judged by how we take care of our stuff. One of the biographers of the Duke of Wellington went through all this research on this man. He read through papers, reports, and letters. And then he said this about his book. He said, I finally found an old ledger account of how the Duke spent his money. It was far better clue to what he really thought was important than reading all of his letters and speeches. I love that. That's true. You want to know what's on your heart? You want to know your priorities? Look at your bank account. Look at your calendar. I can tell you your priorities. It's that simple. That's what God is saying. That's what Jesus is saying here. I can't trust you with this unrighteous stuff. How can I trust you over here? Do you really believe that I will give you spiritual things? So, there's a game. I don't know if it's still on. Let's make a deal. I think it's still on. But let's make a deal. Remember, let's make a deal. You had, you had to dress up like an idiot, which I wouldn't go on the show for that one reason. But anyway... And they give you a prize. And then they've said, now you want to keep the prize or do you want the curtain? Now you know something behind the curtain. Maybe better, maybe worse. You don't know. Try to make the decision. Everybody's encouraging. You no, know, do something, do something. And so you may say, yeah, I'll, I'll trade it for the curtain. They open the curtain. A brand new car. I mean, it's great. Oh, this is awesome. Or they open the curtain. 10,000 toothpicks. 
You feel like, oh, an idiot, why did I do this? And, and so the, do you trust what's behind the curtain? You didn't know what was behind the curtain. Do you realize spiritually God says there's something behind the curtain in heaven and you know it's better. You know it's better. There is no doubt. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, beyond what we can comprehend, do you believe that God is going to fulfill his promises? Do you believe that God is going to fulfill what he says? If you do, you will trust your material possessions to God. Third, can God trust you with spiritual things? Can God trust you with spiritual things? Look at verse 12. In case the disciples had not understood this parable. And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? He reminds the guys, hey, hey, you realize everything you have comes from God. Everything you have comes from, this is a spiritual principle. Everything you have comes from God. Your health, your wealth, everything, your time, your opportunity, everything comes from God. There's nothing that you have that didn't come from God. That's a spiritual moment. Can God trust you with it? You know, here's the irony of it. We're 100% certain we're going to lose all our money sometime in life. Probably when we die, okay? It's, all, it's going to fail. That's what Jesus said in verse 9. It's going to fail. Everything you have, everything you, one day will not be yours. Or you can look at it another way. You can say, is it possible... That what God has given to us, we can use for his kingdom. Because we know it won't fail. So Puritan Thomas Adam put it this way. To part with what we cannot keep, that we may get that we cannot lose, is a good bargain. Wealth can do us no good unless it helps us toward heaven. So God has given you everything. Are you going to use it for his kingdom? That's a spiritual decision. Every decision is a spiritual decision. Can God trust you? On April 6, 1896, James Conley became the first modern Olympic champion in 1,527 years. They had not had the Olympics in that long, and so they decided to have the Olympics in 1896. Conley, 27-year-old student, said he could win the medal. He could win the prize. He was going to participate in what we now call the triple jump. But he had to give up some things. He had to make some sacrifices. First, he had to drop out of Harvard. He went to the dean, told the dean what he was going to do. The dean said, if you drop out, we won't let you back in. Then he had to give up his life savings in order to get to Athens. He boarded a freighter, went to Europe. While he was there, his money was stolen out of his wallet in Italy. To get to Greece, he had to find a moving train, jump on the train to get to the Olympics, but he won. He came in first place. He was the first. That was the first event. Came the first modern Olympic champion. He also placed second in the high jump and third in the long jump. The moment he resolved to become Olympic champion, it cost him. It cost him a Harvard degree. It cost him his life savings. It cost him his friends and family that he left behind to go to Europe. It cost him everything. For a prize that wouldn't last. How much more should we give up 
for a prize that will last. Apostle Paul writes in the book of Philippians chapter 3. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Can God trust us? Can God trust us to give him everything? This morning, can God trust you? See, God has given you an opportunity right now. Right now, God has given you an opportunity to make a decision. Those of you here, those of you watching online, today, have you ever given your life to Christ? If not, today's the day. You have this opportunity God has given to you. If you're online, if you would text the word today, at 270-398-5005, just type the word today, and, and a minister will give you a call. If you want to give your life to Christ today, will you do that? Do you realize that God has given you this opportunity? For those of you here, you have an opportunity maybe to give your life to Christ also by admitting you're a sinner, saying, God, I can't save myself, believing that Jesus died for you 2,000 years ago, buried on the third day arose, confessing that, Lord, I give you everything. Will you make that decision? Maybe it's joining this church. Maybe to realize I have not been baptized by immersion. I need to follow with that. Maybe it's call of missions. Maybe it's call of the ministry. I don't know. Maybe there's some other decision you need to make. Maybe you've been holding back just like the, this unrighteous steward. And today's the day you're going to say, God, I give you everything. You can trust me with the small things, the material things, and the spiritual things. Would you stand as we pray? Our Father, we trust you with everything. And so, Father, I pray today that you can trust us. Father, whatever decision we need to make, You've given to us this moment, this time to make this decision. So trust us, Father, that we'll give our life to you. Trust us, Father, as we join this church. Trust us, Father, as we answer the call. Trust us, Father, that we let go of what's holding us back. Because, Father, if we really trust you, you can trust us. In Jesus' name, amen.